We're going to continue today um, in, in Love 101. This is the last day we're going to talk about the love languages. Um, so we're talking about physical touch. Uh, I want to start off, though. Think about this. Think about this question. In your most important relationships, in the most important relationships of your life, the ones that make, make the most difference to your physical well-being and your emotional well-being, are you more of a user or more of a lover? Are you more of a giver are you more of a taker? And be honest. I'm not asking for an out loud, yeah, I'm a taker. I, I'm, I'm saying evaluate yourself. Most of us, I think, would say, well, yeah, I give. I give more than I take. I love more than I use. But what would the people closest to us say? You know, what would, what would your, your spouse, what would your friends, what would your, your roommate, what would your coworkers say? Uh, do you make them feel loved? Do you make them feel, I'm the most important person to them? They value me. Um, you know, some of you might say, well, I'm married to a user. Or my, my friends are all takers. They're always just beating me down. They're always taking things from me, never giving anything back. Maybe so. But what if the things that you are expressing to them and you think you're expressing love aren't really meeting their needs for love? I know I've given this example before, but uh, my friend who couldn't figure out why his wife was so upset and wanted to, wanted to leave him. And he said, you know, if you went to our house and you looked up on the wall, you'd see all these vases from all the flowers I've bought her every week. And I said, well, man, maybe she doesn't want flowers. You know, maybe she wants you to try harder to get a job. And he didn't like hearing that because he thought he was doing a great job as a husband because he was buying flowers every week. And that's not, that wasn't what she needed from him. Um, you know, like... Like the kids, like the parents who can't figure out why their son is so rebellious, why he wants to run away from home, because they're like, well, there's nothing he needs that we don't give him. We, we're so generous to him. Well, maybe it's not material things that that, that that son needs. We need to understand one another. We need to understand what communicates love to each other. Um, again, this is the last day we're going to talk about the love languages. We're going to move on to some other things after this, but last time... Uh, the five love languages are words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, giving and receiving of gifts, and physical touch. Again, this is from a book by Dr. Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages. He's written versions of that for basically any relationship you can name for your kids, for your kids when they're teenagers, for dealing with adults with Alzheimer's. There's even a military edition. And the first day I said that, I said, you yeah, know, I don't know why there needs to be a military edition. And John Mays told me, he said, you know, it's hard. It's hard to be married in the military. You know, that, that, that's hard on marriages, and that's right. So um, fivelovelanguages.com is the website. If you want more information, you can take the test. You can get your loved ones to take the test, and that's really helpful. But I want to share a couple of scriptures with you because always, always we want to see uh, what the Bible has to say. And obviously, five love languages aren't something in the scriptures that comes from Gary Chapman, but the idea of physical touch is in the scriptures. So 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 26. Some of you are going to recognize this because you've read it before and, and thought it was kind of funny. Uh, Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. You ever wonder why we don't do that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because it's creepy in 21st century America. <laughs> but in 1st century Middle East, and maybe even in modern Middle East, that's, that's a valid expression of love. That's received as love. We're going to talk about this later, but uh, it's not just physically touching people. It's making sure they receive that as love. The point is, Paul was telling the churches, and specifically the Thessalonian church, hey, 
let these people around you know that they matter. Let them know in a physical way, you are important. You matter to me. Now, there's an even better story about that, and that's the one I want to show you next. Matthew 8, 2 through 4. Matthew 8, 2 through 4. There's a lot of miracle stories in the Bible, in the, in the Gospels, the four Gospels, especially the first three Gospels. Um, and in fact, John tells us Jesus did so many things that if they wrote it all down, there wouldn't be room for all the books it would be written in. So this isn't even a, what we see in the scriptures aren't even a, a, a tip of the iceberg to what Jesus did while he was here in those three years of ministry. But this is a story that you may read and just kind of skim over because it doesn't seem all that spectacular compared to some of his other miracles. But there's a detail in it I love. It says, uh, a man with leprosy and came and knelt before Jesus and said to him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, can you think like a preacher for just a moment and, and figure out what detail I'm going to talk about? Don't tell anybody? No, that's not it. Actually, you've heard that sermon though, right? No, I'm, I, want to, I want you to notice that Jesus touched this man. Question, did Jesus need to touch him in order to heal him? No, there's plenty of examples. Jesus uh, spoke to someone and, and, and healed them. Jesus spit in the mud and put mud on a guy's eye and healed him. Jesus, there was a point where the, the centurion came to Jesus and said, my, my servant is, is ill. And Jesus said, when you get home, he'll be well. Jesus didn't even have to be in his physical presence to heal him. So why does Jesus touch this man? Why does Matthew include that detail? So here's the thing. For hundreds of years in Jewish culture, in fact, in a lot of the Middle East, if you had a skin disease, in that time, any skin disease, they considered leprosy. Thing about skin diseases is people can see it. So it was even scarier than if you have, you know, pneumonia or, or something internal. Um, so if you had a skin disease, people shunned you. And the law in Israel was, if you had a skin disease on the day you were diagnosed, you had to separate yourself from society. You had to tear your clothing, you had to wear dust on your head, and you had to live on the outskirts of town. And if anyone came within eyesight of you, you had to shout out, unclean, unclean, so that no one would come near enough to you to get infected. So we don't know how long this man was ill. We do know that once you, were, once you were well, once you thought you were well, you were supposed to go to a priest. The priest was supposed to examine you. If you were well, there was a ritual they did, a ritual of cleanliness, of cleansing, and then they, the priest would declare you back in the community. Now, this wasn't meant to be cruel, right? This was meant, this was disease prevention. This was, uh, this was infectious disease quarantine. This was for the good of the community. And yet, think about this man. On the day he was diagnosed, on the day he saw that rash on his hand or saw that, you know, he dropped some hot water on his foot and he didn't feel it because that toe had grown numb. Whatever the case might be, on the day he was diagnosed, he had to walk away from his family, from his job, from everything, had to live on the outskirts of town. If his family ever saw him at all, they would come and stand at a distance and he'd be like, okay, my kids have grown since the last time I saw him. Think about how sad a life that is. Think about how we take for granted that we're around people who put an arm around us, give us a handshake, give us a hug, rub shoulders with us. This man hadn't experienced any of that. So when Jesus heals this man, he doesn't just heal him, he touches him. Why? Because he's saying, you're whole, you matter. 
In touching him, think about this, Jesus was making himself unclean. If you touch someone with a skin disease, you were unclean yourself until a certain time period had passed and you couldn't go to the temple, you couldn't worship. So Jesus was declaring himself unclean to tell this man, you're cleansed, you're whole, you matter. That's how important that physical touch was. Think about that. And I think about a lady I knew at another church, um, an older woman, and, and she was one of these ladies, you know, there, there are men and women who they just wisdom just flows out of them. You know what, you, you know what I'm talking about? If, if you don't know any like that, you need to hang around some of our older adults because they're not all that way, but plenty of them are. And this lady was one of those. I mean, just everything she said, it was like, I want to write this down. And one day she said to me, have you ever thought about the fact that if you're an old woman and you're a widow, no one ever touches you? I said, no. She said, just look at the, you know, like any church I've ever been a part of, there were a lot of widow ladies in our church. She said, whoever really puts an arm around her? I mean, if their kids don't live nearby, her grandkids aren't nearby, she's never really touched. And that, that really spoke to me. And so I would, I would put an arm around one of those ladies when I'd see them um, until one of them maced me and then that was it. But <laughs> that part's not true. So within marriage, think about marriage. What, is, what does the Bible say about marriage? The first passage in the Bible about marriage, Genesis 2, says, Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one, what? One flesh. At least that's what it says in the King James. They shall become one flesh. What is that referring to? Come on. What is it referring to? You can say it. Peggy can say it, right? No, no, you don't want to say it? It's referring to sex. Yes, it is. It's referring to a physical relationship. God defines marriage as an act of physical touch. You're not married until that happens. In fact, in Old Testament culture, I know, I know this is going to just devastate a lot of the ladies in here. There weren't wedding ceremonies. What, what did you do to get married? you took your, your bride into your tent or into your father's tent or whatever. You took it, and that's what it says. So Jacob took Rebekah into his mother's tent and they were married. They weren't playing tiddlywinks in the tent, okay? I, I just want you to know that. So, so God was like, okay, now you're married. So I did a wedding yesterday and, and really it, it wasn't me signing that marriage license that made them married in God's eyes. It wasn't me saying by the power vested in me, you may kiss your bride. There was something else that happened, and that's why they were married in God's eyes. So physical touch is important to God. And on November 11th, we're going to talk more specifically about sex, so I'm not going to go into detail there. And some of you are like, this is awkward enough already, so if that's detail, you know. But I do need to say this. I do need to say this. So probably every man in the room is like, my love language is physical touch. Chapman in his book makes a really good point. He says, just because you like sex doesn't mean your gift is physical touch, all right? God made men in such a way that we have a physical need for that, and that doesn't mean that's your love language. How much do you appreciate non-sexual touch? That's going to tell the trick. That's going to tell the tale. Do you like holding hands? Do you like hugs? Do you like a hand on your shoulder? Do you like just sitting close. If you find that annoying, if you find that irritating, 
then physical touch really isn't your love language, right? So just keep that in mind, men. Just keep that in mind. I did know a man who craved physical touch from his wife. That was definitely his love language. And he even, he and his wife were having trouble in their marriage and, and he confided in me a lot. And he told me about, you know, there was this time and it was a few years ago when all of a sudden, just for no reason, all of a sudden she was just really uh, physically responsive to me and, and there was a lot of affection in our marriage and it was for a solid month. It was like the best month of my life. And then all of a sudden it ended. And not only did it end, she was sort of resentful about how often he would bring it up. And it was like a vicious cycle because he would pout and she'd say, what's wrong? And he would say, well, how come things aren't the way they were before? And that would make her mad. And finally she said, don't even talk about that month anymore. I never want to bring it up. And I remember she came and talked to me one day and she said, I don't understand him. We've been married for 20, you know, they had kids who were practically grown. She said, he acts like we're supposed to be high school kids. She just didn't understand this was a legitimate need. This was how he felt love. Um, this is a legitimate love language, and you need to keep that in mind. One more thing. I need to come at this from the other angle. Physical touch can be misused. So in one church where I pastored, there was a man um, who joined our church because when he and his wife visited our church the first time, I called him afterwards. And I always do that. You know, if, they, if you fill out any kind of paperwork, I'm going to give you a call and say thank you for coming. Well, he was so impressed with that. He and his wife joined the next Sunday. He said, man, we visited every church in town. This is the only pastor that called us. And I got to tell you, people would come up to me about every six weeks or so and say, why did you call that guy? Because he was just, he drove people crazy. One of the things he would do is, he kissed all the women in church. I mean, every time, he, every time he'd see a lady, he'd come up and kiss her on the cheek. And it, I mean, he was an equal opportunity offender. I mean, old, young, no matter how physically attractive, he kissed them all. Um, he didn't kiss my wife. He, he was a little intimidated by her, but um, I guess because of the position. But, um, you know, I used to think, well, that's kind of weird, but I didn't do anything about it. And I knew some of the ladies didn't like it, but I thought, well, they're grown. You know, they're adult women. If they don't like it, they can tell him. And now I look back on that, and I realize how wrong I was. As the pastor of that church, I should have talked to him and said, you know, you're misusing this. You're, 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 you're causing people to feel uncomfortable. I mean, here's, this, here's, here's a woman in church where she's supposed to feel safe, where she's supposed to feel like family, and this guy three times her size comes up and gives her a kiss on the cheek, whether she wants it or not. I wish I could go back in time and sit that guy down and say, listen, what you're doing is wrong. And I've seen other men in the time since that who it was pretty obvious to me. They, they were pretending to give holy affection, but they were enjoying it themselves. Do you know what I mean? So here's my word to men. All right? When you give physical affection to a woman, not your wife, check your motives. Why are you doing this? Is it because you find her attractive? Is it because you need something? Is it for you? Does it make you feel good? Secondly, put yourself in her shoes. Put yourself in her shoes. That's hard for us guys, right? Just because you enjoy a particular physical contact doesn't mean that this other person does. 
So put yourself in her shoes. You know, we're in this cultural moment when women are starting to speak out more about things like this and things that go much further than this. And so I think a lot of us guys are starting to say, wait, I didn't know this was considered harassment. I didn't know this was considered assault. We need to pay attention. We need to listen. I mean, think about it this way. What if you as a man worked in an office where everybody, every man there was three times your size and they were all looking at you in a sexual way and they love to put their hand on your shoulder and put their arm around you and how would you feel about that? Yeah, so keep in mind how the other person feels. Don't be the creepy guy, all right? And if you need to know whether you're the creepy guy, ask someone. <laughs> ask someone, please. I keep this in mind because I'm a pastor and I need to do a better job of guarding my flock, but I keep this in mind also because I'm a guy who enjoys physical touch. I keep this in mind because I don't want anything like this to compromise the ministry. And that can come up, that can happen. And women, I've, I've talked to the men enough, speak up if you feel mistreated ever, ever, ever in any way. Speak up, come talk to me, come talk to somebody else on staff, that shouldn't happen in a church, period. Don't worry, I'm not gonna shoot anyone yet, but conversations need to be had, all right? We okay with that, any questions? All right. So how do you know if someone has this love language? This is probably the least necessary part of this conversation because if someone you know has this love language, you probably know it. They love physical contact, they initiate it. Think about, you have that one kid who just loves to snuggle, loves to wrestle, loves to sit on your lap, and your other kid is like, oh no, I'm good over here. I mean, some people you can just tell. The guy, the guy friend who's always giving you a little friendly punch on the arm, and sometimes it gets a little too friendly, right? A little less than soft, but hey, that's just his style. That's, you know your love because that's what he does. He comes up and grabs you by the arm really hard. These are people, for, for them, physical contact communicates love, communicates affection. How do you love someone? Again, simple. If you become, every once in a while, the person who initiates it for someone with this love language, then that goes a long, long way. I mean, they're used to being the one who initiates. When you initiate, that's like the skies part and the angels sing, I'm love. That is a good thing. And here's another thing. Don't withhold or reject affection from someone with this love language. That doesn't mean you have to always give them what they want. I mean, yes, I will kiss you when that fever blister is gone from your lips, okay? That is a reasonable thing to say. You've got a tarantula on your mouth. I'm not going to kiss you right now. Or, you know, you've got a fever. I'm sorry, I'm not hugging you right now. I'm not shaking your hand right now. It's okay. You can be a germaphobe. That's all right. But, you know, when you're, when you're son, it's... it's Late at night, you've been working all day, and he wants to wrestle again. And you know, once you start wrestling, you can't stop. It goes on and on and on. And so you're like, okay, buddy, we'll do this tomorrow. That's okay to do as long as you realize don't withhold it. You know, get back to that relationship. Don't reject it. Don't say, ooh, that hurts someone with this love language. And like I've said with all the love languages, even if this is at the bottom of your list, you still need some physical touch. So everybody needs affection of some kind. 
One more thing. The person who says, this just doesn't come naturally to me. I'm not a touchy person. I'm not an affectionate person. I'm sorry, but do it anyway. And that's what I say about all the love languages, right? Do it anyway. And here's the thing. With all these, once we start doing what communicates love to the person we love, we end up enjoying it more. Again, when I married my wife and and she has this love language of acts of service and I was so far not that guy at all. I mean, you're talking about chores, right? You're talking about work, right? That's not love. But once I realized that that communicates love and I started doing those things, don't tell her this, but there's sometimes I actually enjoy it. Every once in a while, please don't tell her that. Please, please, please don't tell her that. But there's every once in a while where I'm like, you know, this is really good. This is a good thing I'm doing. I feel good. The house actually looks better. My wife's going to be happier. You love the way it makes them feel, and so you start to associate that with the giving of love, and it makes love more pleasurable for you. So, final thoughts on all the love languages. Number one, remember these are not rock-solid categories. Just because uh, a person you know, uh, you think they have this love language at this time, they may grow out of that. My son, when he was a little boy, he was the physical kid. He loved to snuggle. He loved to wrestle. I would have said he was number one love language was physical touch. Yet I had him do this test a couple weeks ago, and that was last on his list. He's changed. Kind of makes me sad, but that's okay. You just... You have to accept the fact that people can learn, people can grow, people can change. We're not static creatures. The person you love may not fit neatly into any one box. Please don't go home and say, wait, you want me to clean the house? I thought your love language was, uh, you know, quality time. Don't do that. This isn't the highway department. We don't have one job, right? Sorry, does anybody work in the highway department? Okay, good. That was bad, sorry. Um... Give love. Give love in the way the person needs it at each particular time. The real point of all of this is it's your job to know the person you're trying to love. Know your child. Know your spouse. Know your friends. Know them. Don't expect them to fit into some uh, box that you've put them in. Don't expect them, for goodness sakes, don't expect them to be just like you. They're not know them. That's what we're going to talk about in more detail next week is how to, how to know. Next week is going to be more about marriage than most of these because we're going to talk about the needs of men and women in, in relationships. We're going to get back to just love in general after that. And here's the thing about needs. If you focus on your own needs in any relationship, if when your focus is on your needs in that relationship, you're always miserable. Have you ever thought about that? Because any relationship you can name, even the best friend you have, if you start focusing on, you know, if I could change her in some way to make my life better, here's how I'd change her. And after a while, you don't like that person anymore because you're focused on yourself. You're focused on, I really wish she would be there for me more often. I really wish, you know, I know she's, I'm a night owl and she's a morning person. I wish she would stay up with me when, when, we wanna, when I want to get together and talk. But of course, I can't call her after what? 10 o'clock, because she's in bed. You start focusing on things like that, and you start thinking, I don't have any real friends. You start focusing on that in a marriage. You start saying, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he do these things? Why doesn't he take more time for me? Why doesn't he say this or do that? And you're miserable. When you focus on yourself, 
you're miserable. But when you focus on how can I show love to this person? How can I make this person feel loved? There's a joy that comes out of that. There's an incredible joy that comes out of that. And that happens for two reasons. Number one, because God created us to love others. And so when you're focused on loving someone, it brings joy to your heart because you're doing what you were created to do. That was the whole reason I've done this series on the love languages is not so that you could sit there and go, well, my love language is physical touch. Why isn't she touching me? That doesn't do any good. But so that you'll say, I think her love language is words of affirmation. I better start upping my game. I better start thinking of some kind things to say. When you focus on those things, when you show love to somebody else, you're doing what God put you here to do. And that's the first reason it brings you joy. And second, and here's the more practical reason, because when you speak their love language, they're so happy, they love you back. And that's good. That is absolutely a good thing. Last thing. There is only one who will ever perfectly love you. Only one. I got news for you. Carrie and I have been married 26 and a half years. She's still not perfect. And I never will be. And yeah, we would change one another if we could. I can't love her perfectly. She can't love me perfectly. We can't meet each other's needs. If you expect anyone to do that for you, anyone, your expectations will crush that person. Your expectations will destroy that relationship. That is a guarantee. There's only one who will perfectly love you. So accept the people who God has brought into your life. Love them in the best way you can. And call on him and the love he gives to give you significance, to give you meaning. You may be single and like, well, you know, I don't know. I just, I don't know that I'll ever find the right person. You may, you may not. You know what? The right person found you. You have value because the son of God died for you. You may be married and and saying, I'm just not as happy as I thought I was going to be. Well, he or she is never going to make you as happy as you thought you were going to be. That is the fact but there's somebody who knows everything about you and has a plan for your life that leads to something eternally significant. That's the person who perfectly loves you. That is where our love truly comes from. And in fact, when we love that other person, what we're really doing is loving him. We're loving him and that brings him joy. So I hope you're not tired of the love languages, but if you are, we're done with them, all right? Any questions, anybody? All right, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm gonna pray for us and then uh, you guys share prayer requests around your table and we'll see you over at the worship center at about 1045. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the men and women in this room. Thank you for your love for them and your love for each one of us. Lord, teach us to love one another in a way that truly feels like love. Lord, help us to understand that we can grow. If, if we say, I'm not good at this, well, that's okay, because none of us are. But Lord, your Holy Spirit can change us, can shape us. Help us, Lord, for your sake and for the sake of the people you've brought to us to begin to show people love in a way that feels like love, in a way that changes us and changes them. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.